Welcome to the Chicago Golf Report Podcast, brought to you by ChicagoGolfReport.com, covering everything golf in Chicago. Our guest this episode is one of the best female players in Chicago golf history, Nicole Jure. Nicole was born and raised in Berwyn and went on to star at Northern Illinois University and then on the LPGA Tour. She has played on the LPGA and on the Futures Tour and is a two-time champion of the Phil Cozen Illinois Women's Open. In addition to her success on the golf courses, Nicole has become a leading awareness advocate for the sleep disorder known as narcolepsy, which she has battled for most of her life. You can learn more about Nicole, her golf career, and her battle with narcolepsy at NicoleGeray.com. So thanks for being here, Nicole. Can you start by talking a little bit about your background and what it was like to grow up in the Chicagoland area? Well, I've been playing sports my entire life. I'm pretty athletically coordinated. And um, when I was playing baseball in Stickney, there were a bunch of kids that were missing games. And my mom asked the other mothers where they were, and they said, oh, they're caddying at Riverside Golf Course. But she said, what's caddying? <laughs> and so um, this, and they told her what it was and what golf was and that they got paid money. And I liked to, to earn money. I was always collecting newspapers, going door to door, collecting newspapers and trying to recycle them to make money. And I, I was, I always liked to make money. So, um, I wanted to become a caddy. So my mom introduced me to the game of golf. And when I was 13, I started caddying at Riverside country club. And, you know, that was pretty much my start. And, um, so I caddied there for a few years, and eventually I started. I got a job at Fresh Meadow Golf Course, one of the Joe Jemsek golf courses back then. And I was uh, a starter there when I was 15, and you know, washed carts and you know, did all kinds of things, whatever they needed me to do. But I was mostly a starter, and uh, so and I and I loved it. I loved caddying. I loved I loved being at the golf course. I loved playing. I was good at it because I was athletic and. I liked being the center of attention with all the boys because I was pretty much the only girl around that played golf. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So that's how I got my start, and I just continued to play. And then I went to Northern Illinois University on a scholarship, and that was pretty much what was in the back of my mother's brain was, how can I get my kid to get her school paid for? Mm -hmm. And so um, golf was what I decided to play in college, and I went to Northern Illinois. Pam Tiska was the coach. She was great, and I, so I got a scholarship. And then, I, you know, I never really thought I was going to be a pro until my junior year in college when I played in an LPGA event here in Oak Brook. I, a friend of mine talked me into trying to qualify, and I shot 68 to qualify, and I had never broken par in my life up until that point. <laughs> And so I shot 68 to qualify, and then I got into the LPGA tournament. And after one round of playing in the LPGA event, I thought, oh, I really want to do this. This is so much fun. (laughs) (laughs) So that's where it all started. And, um, you know, it's a great game, and I still live in Illinois. I am definitely a Chicago girl. Went to, you know, born and raised and still reside, so. And before you went to Northern, you went to, was it Nazareth for high school? Nazareth Nazareth Academy, that's right. And I actually, I played on the boys' team at Nazareth Academy. 
And I was going to go to Morton West, which was the public school in my area, and they wouldn't let me play on the boys' team. And I really wanted to play golf. Mm -hmm. And so at the last minute, like three weeks before the school session started, I switched schools and decided to go to Nazareth because they were going to let me play golf. (laughs) (laughs) And how did that work out? How was that that, uh, experience? It worked out great. You know, I think – a lot of people might think the boys were going to tease me and stuff, but I was so used to being around boys my whole life. They just, like, took me under their wing, and and, and I loved it because I loved trying to keep up with them. And um, it was really good for my game to play against the guys because they all hit it further than I did, but I hit it straight, see. So, um, so they appreciated that, I think. <laughs> mm-hmm. A big difference, yeah, a lot less frustrating and probably much more envious. Yes. And I would imagine, too, that um, your, you know, I would imagine your distance probably wasn't that far off considering, you know, the type of athlete you were. Yeah, I wasn't too far off. Um, I think I, I was probably pretty close to the boys. I mean, they when they hit a good one and I hit a good one, they were way by me. But um, but I wasn't too far off. So I played the men's tees, and I, and I, I was number one on the team for – I think two of the three or the four years I played there. So, I mean, I must not have been too far off, although it's not about how far you hit the ball. It's about putting. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a great point. So then yeah. after, after Northern Illinois and you have this experience uh, playing in that LPGA event, then you you decided to set out and to try to become a, a professional and play on professional tours. And what was that experience like? Yeah, I decided to turn professional, and I went down to Florida and – and I played in some little mini tour events, and I did very well. I made money every week in the little mini tour events in Florida. And then I played in the Futures Tour that first year, and I finished fifth on the money list on the Futures Tour. My golf game out of college got so good the first year out because I played all year long. And mm-hmm. so I really, I mean, I, I got a lot better that very first year out of school. So I finished fifth on the money list on the Futures Tour, and then I went to the qualifying school, and I got my tour card the very first time out of uh, out of the Pew School. So that was pretty I think I finished, like, fourth at qualifying school. Mm-hmm. And so I was an exempt player on the LPGA right out of college, and it was quite an experience out there. <laughs> I, I think <laughs> I aged 10 years my first year on tour. <laughs> really? So, How yeah, so? Well, because I was pretty young. I mean, I was young. Nowadays, everybody's young. But mm-hmm. back then, I was very young. And, mm-hmm. you know, just to be thrown out there with all those great players that, you know, that, you know you've watched your whole life. And I'm just in awe. I was out there, like, in awe at them instead of mm-hmm. worrying about how I was going to play. And then just sure. traveling. And, you know, you're I can rent a car, but it was um, – Oh, what did I have? He had to be 25 to rent a car or something. I don't know. There was a problem with the car rental thing, I remember, because I was too young to to rent myself, or I forget how it was. God, that was such a long time ago. <laughs> um, but it was just, it was just, it was a lot. It was a lot for me um, that very first year. But I got, by the end of the year, I got on the swing of things, and I, um, I remember I made, out of the last nine tournaments, I think I made seven cuts. 
And back then, I played in like 28 golf tournaments a year. Now the LPGA doesn't have nearly as many golf tournaments, so it's a completely different. It's just a completely different game now. Mm-hmm. Completely so then, different tour, I should say. So before we get into further, you know, about your history and uh, how you've advanced on the tours. Um, I think at, at this point in time, you know, you've obviously had a remarkable career if you just consider that and what you've accomplished so far. But then I think the big big component which makes your story so remarkable is your battle with narcolepsy and first getting it diagnosed and then treating it in the everyday, all that situation. Can you, I know it's a, it's a, it's a very long story, but can you kind of give people an idea of what you've gone through and and how you first diagnosed it, and then how you're dealing with it up to today. Yeah, well, narcolepsy, first of all, is a sleeping disorder. And, uh, you know, the symptoms are excessive daytime sleepiness and then something called cataplexy, which not everybody experiences, but um, cataplexy is when a person with narcolepsy gets excited or laughs or angry, they become paralyzed. And when, um, because their brain goes into REM sleep, they become paralyzed. So every time I would laugh, I would get, I would fall over because I was paralyzed. And, um, and then you have hypnagogic hallucinations at night when you're sleeping, and then something else called uh, sleep paralysis at nighttime when you feel like you're awake but you can't move your body, which happens to some people, but narcoleptic, it happens a lot more. So anyway, so when I was in college, I was always falling asleep everywhere, but I thought it was normal. And even my first, you know, when I was on tour, I was falling asleep everywhere. And I didn't really think it was much of it because I was overworked and I said yes to everything I did. And so I was just really exhausted. Um, But during my second year on the LPGA, I started falling over Um, whenever I would get excited, which was cataplexy. And so every time I would laugh or hit a good shot or, you know, just, you know, get excited about anything, I would become paralyzed and start to fall over. I would drop whatever I was holding. My head would bob. My knees would buckle. And um, so I knew something was wrong with me, and I thought maybe it was like Lou Gehrig's disease or muscular dystrophy or something to do with the muscles. And so I went to um, the doctor on site at the LPGA event that I was in in 1995. And um, he didn't know what was wrong with me, but he did a little bit of research. And then he gave me a phone call and, and said, you know, I think you might have narcolepsy. And then he asked me a few more questions, and he was pretty much sure that I did after I told him how exhausted and how I would fall asleep when I was driving and how I would fall asleep in movie theaters. And, you know, I pretty much fell asleep the last five years of my life everywhere. But I just, you know, chalked it up as I was exhausted. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So the cataplexy was, um, you know, that's how I was diagnosed pretty much. So, um. What was your question? <laughs> so the, the idea, I think you've, you've answered the first part of it. It's kind of like how okay. you, I got diagnosed. So then how do you live with it now going forward? How do you still deal with it? Well, when I was initially diagnosed, we only treated the cataplexy. And um, the cataplexy was better, but I got more tired with the medicine that I was on with the cataplexy. So 
eventually we had to treat the, the, the tiredness and the falling asleep part because I couldn't function. I was falling asleep on the golf course and over my shots, I was asleep. I mean, I don't even know how I hit the ball. Um, but I continued to play and I just continued to try different medicines and just get better. And, 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 you know, there were good days and I would push myself really hard. And at the time I thought everything was okay, but, now, in 2010, that I'm on terrific medicine, I realize how much better I feel now than I did then. And, you know, I, I was probably on, you know, 10 different medicines between 1996 and, and today. Um, and every year it gets a little bit better because I'm more aware of my body and because of technology and advancements in narcolepsy uh, research and the better medicines. So, um, you know, I'm very thankful for all the research, and that's why I do a lot to promote uh, awareness for narcolepsy because back in 1996, nobody knew what narcolepsy was, and now lots of people know what it is. Uh, They may not understand it like I understand it or how they should understand it, but, but, um, you know, that's why things are better. And paying attention to my body, Uh, drinking a lot of water. If I get a little bit dehydrated, I get tired. I get a little bit of cataplexy. Um, So I know that I need to stay hydrated. I I know that I need to watch what I eat. Certain things make me more cataplectic. Certain things make me more tired. Um, So really just paying attention to my body and making a few lifestyle changes has really helped me over the years. Um, It's been, you know, a roller coaster ride, <laughs> but uh, I would say the last the last three years since I've been on this new medicine, um, which actually treats the problem of narcolepsy. It's a medicine I take at nighttime, twice during the night. In the middle of the night, I have to take another dose, and um, it, it helps me sleep the right way at night so that I don't have my issues during the day. And it's been the greatest medicine ever. I pray that it stays on the market and I pray I'll always be able to afford it because I don't even know how I functioned without it all those other years. I mean, it's so wonderful. I feel so much better than I ever have. And is this the medicine that you had to get uh, permission from the LPGA to, uh, I guess it was on the banned substances list before? Yes. Yes. It's, um, there's, there's two medicines I take, I believe that are on the banned substances list. And, um, so the one medicine I barely take any of, I mean, I, I mean, I just take, I used to be on 600 milligrams of this banned substance that I was on for years that I was still falling asleep with, but, um, I was on 600 milligrams and now I'm only on about 100, maybe 200, but usually just 100. So I barely take any of that anymore because of this other medicine that I take at night, which is also a medicine that I had to get a drug release for. Mm-hmm. And it seems like that you've you've had a lot of uh, this year. You've played on the LPGA quite a few times. You've had some good success, like I said, at the Illinois Women's Open. It seems like your game is um, improving. What's your kind of feeling now when you're? You know, at this point in your life where you're finally getting your the issue that you've had to deal with medically for so long, is it? Do you feel like you're it's coming together now on the on the golf side as well that you're improving in that area? Yes, definitely. I mean, I have not showed it this year. I mean, my scores have not been well, but 
last year I did show it. My my scoring average last year was the best it's ever been. Um, and, it, I mean, it was clearly obvious how much better of a golfer I am. And this year I haven't quite showed it. But I am definitely a much better golfer and I'm much more awake. And so, you know, it's just that the competition out on the LPGA is, you know, a lot harder than it used to be, <laughs> mm-hmm. especially with all the international players. So, um, but I am working hard on my game and Dr. Study at Coghill here has helped me out recently and um, I'm hitting the ball so much better. I just got to get those putts to drop. So, mm-hmm. and I also started working with um, Betsy Voyles, the body balance for performance. She um, has a business called body balance for performance. And I worked with her Oh, like about six or seven years ago, and she helped me a lot in it with my muscles and my golf swing. And so I went and saw her, and um, she noticed my hip, my right hip is very, very tight, and I think that's why I'm having trouble loading my right side. So that, I think, is going to make a big difference, and it was obvious at the Illinois Open how much better I was hitting the golf ball. So I have high expectations for the end of the year out of myself. Considering what you've gone through, and, and you know, if you're if you're going to draw a parallel to people your same age who've kind of played on the on the LPGA tour at the same time, do you kind of feel like you've uh, you're you're almost now where you're re rejuvenated and reinvigorated, like your time is coming, you know, when, instead of like some of the people who've been around like you might be thinking, well, you know, I had my time, but it's almost like you've had to overcome so much to get to where you're at, and now you're almost at that point where you're ready to go. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> I think my time is now and I wouldn't keep be doing this if I didn't think that my time is still to come. I mean, my ba- I my battle with narcolepsy is really it's been such a roller coaster ride and I've you know, been too positive of a person. I'm always like, Okay, I'm fine, I'm fine, I can do this, everything's good, everything's good and I probably should have took more of a reality check. <laughs> Back when I was first diagnosed and maybe you know, figure out how to handle it a little bit better. But, I mean, we didn't have the medicines back then. So um, I'm just thankful to be still playing and um, awake, and and my time is to come because, I mean, I feel better than I've ever felt. So, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's going to happen. So let me finish up with a few quick questions. What was it like sure. to play, play with uh, superstars like uh, – Annika and Lorena Ochoa, those type of people. What what could people, uh, uh, regular golfers, golfers in the Chicagoland area, learn about playing golf and enjoying golf from those two players? Well, those, it's amazing because they're Annika and Lorena are both pretty little people, and they hit the ball really far mm-hmm. <laughs> and straight, and they don't swing at it very hard and. They're such they're such great players, and I have enjoyed playing with them very much. Lorena is a class act. I'm so sorry to see her retired, and Annika. I mean, her playing with the boys like she did. I mean, that was just amazing because we cannot hit it like the guys. It's just not physically possible. And so the scores that they've shot with how small they are is just amazing to me. What was it like playing Oakmont this year? No, Oakmont was a very, very difficult golf course. <laughs> Everybody said, oh, tee to green's not very difficult, and um, you just have to figure out how to putt on the greens, and they're really fast. 
So I'm thinking, well, I love fast greens, and so I'll be fine. <laughs> well, tea to green is not easy whatsoever. I mean, you've got about a 10-yard window because it, if you hit it a little left or a little right, the ball bounces everywhere. <laughs> mm-hmm. So you've got to be really accurate from tee to green. The rough was not bad at all, but it didn't – I mean, it, there are so many bunkers out there that, you know, that you had to position yourself just right so you're not in the bunkers. And then once you're on the green, you have to hit it in the right spot on the green so you can have a realistic putt at the greens. And it's so hard to hit it on the right spot because the ball bounces everywhere. So you had to know the golf course, you had to be accurate, and then once you're on the greens, now you have to putt. And so these greens, sure, they're fast, and I love fast greens. They were 14 to 15 on the stent meter. Do you know how fast that is? Oh, my gosh. It, it was like nothing I have ever, ever putted on in my life. And my brain and my hands could not get it together. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and as soon as I would realize how fast they were, then you're scared to death to hit the ball because you know how fast it is. And then uphill putts, it, it's hard to hit the ball because you're thinking, oh, my gosh, these greens are so fast, but now it's uphill, so you have to hit it a little bit. So it was very it was very difficult. I had a really hard time, especially because I wasn't hitting the ball very well. So, All of that making Paula Creamer's performance that much more remarkable, I would imagine. Uh, remarkable. And I guess on Sunday the scores were a lot lower. I don't know if they made the green softer or something, but I did notice the scores on Sunday were a lot, a lot lower. But, boy, those first three days of play that she had were, just, I mean, just amazing to me because, the golf course is so hard, and that that other girl that shot 70 the first day, I think, oh, my gosh. I mean, I'm like, how on earth did she do that? That's completely <laughs> – she must have hit every shot perfect and mm-hmm. then had – you know, could putt at it. So last <laughs> question would be, uh, as a professional, what is something that you've seen from tour players that you could tell our audience and tell average golfers in the Chicagoland area – uh, that tour professionals do that maybe golfers could kind of, you know, certainly not uh, do the same way, but could learn from? Well, I hear over and over again from all the amateurs that I play with that they learn so much from the women from watching us play. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, we we're, we don't swing at it at, you know, 125 miles an hour, and you could actually see you know, what we're doing, and we hit the ball about the same distance as the average man that I play with. So it's like when they when an, when an amateur man watches us play, it's like, wow, how do they do that? Because they don't hit it any farther than the average man, and then they shoot these great numbers, and and so it's like realistic for, for you know, just an average male golfer when they come and watch us play. And I hear over and over again, once you see the women play, you'll never watch, you know, you'll always, you'll fall in love with them. You'll always go watch them play. You'll be addicted. And and I've also heard that we're, you know, our events aren't nearly as crowded as the men's tour. And then the, um, we're more approachable apparently. And just we talk more, you know, we're women. We talk more to the fans and mm-hmm. – <laughs> We're just more social, I think. People just get addicted to to the LPGA Tour. 
This has been the Chicago Golf Report podcast. Visit chicagogolfreport.com right now for exclusive discount offers, Chicago golf news, and in-depth event listings.